Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Aaron Douglas from Battlestar Galactica, the chief, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence has become crucial to our salvation. Tell me how many lights you see. Yeah! Ah! Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And I am Miles I'm Chrissy Raffensperger. And it is great to be back here. This is our first show of the new year. Woohoo! Yeah, I know. Go bring, bring it on, bring it on. Uh, so this is exciting, exciting. We have uh, obviously some good stuff coming down the pike here tonight. We're really excited to be talking about Rebel Moon, a uh, a show, a movie, I guess that's gotten panned by the critics, and we're going to decide whether we agree with that judgment, the uh, the hammer that's come down on Rebel Moon, whether it warrants something and uh, our own thoughts about it. So we're kind of excited about all of that. So we'll see how we go. So as in the style of last time, are we just gonna jump right into talking about Rebel Moon? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, Miles, do you wanna give us a little bit of a, some an overview of Rebel Moon for people that may not be familiar with it? Now I'm surprised, I'm walking around school, I'm asking teachers that are typically like sci-fi people and they're like, Oh, I didn't. I didn't hear about it, and so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what Rebel Moon is and why people may or may not have been hearing about Rebel Moon. Okay, so one, it's on Netflix, so it's not out in theaters. Uh, it's not a shot against it. It's just, you know. So it was out in theaters for there were like five theaters that it aired in before it two months off and then went to Netflix which is always kind of the plan but but um, so I, I didn't know I didn't know it had a very short run in, in movie theaters but uh, yeah yeah but uh, yeah. so yeah so it's available on Netflix we got part one that dropped uh, a few weeks ago part two will drop uh, in April but it's a it's a Zack Snyder uh, wrote it directed it uh, I mean, he, well, he wrote it with other people, but um, but it story of a, a peaceful settlement on the edge of a distant moon finds itself threatened by the armies of a tyrannical ruling force. A mysterious stranger living among its villagers become their best hope for survival. So <clears throat> I was thinking when we were talking about this, when Chrissy had asked Dave, is this movie anything like the movie you made us watch a few months ago? And I was like, after I saw it, I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a lot like it. <laughs> because it's it's a remake of The Seven Samurai, which the other um, Beyond Battle Beyond the Stars was a remake of 
well, I guess Magnificent Seven, but slash Seven Samurai. So, like, it's the same story rehashed again, um, which isn't a knock against it. I mean, at this point, the Seven Samurai is almost reaching, like, a cultural, like, trope, almost like damsel in distress, kind of like there's, like, a basic plot that is now being followed. Um, so... However, you have a, a heroine instead of, you know, it's yes. focused on, on a heroine, not, not, a, not a hero. Well, the protagonist is, 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 is a woman. The main protagonist is, anyways. I, w- I wouldn't have said that it, would re- it reminded me of the Battle Beyond the Stars at all it, when I watched it. I'll tell you why it reminded me of, of Battle Beyond the Stars. Um, the antagonist, the baddies, uh, go to this planet. It's a farm planet. Now, granted, the, the the person that becomes the hero is not a farmer finding his inner hero. It's this woman that had, was was once part of the baddies, and she's forced to pick up arms and fight again. So there you know, there are differences, but there are similarities though at the same time. I guess I guess I do I concede your point, but at least we don't have any damn crystals running around. Well, there I mean it's it's your typical you know, farmers are in distress and have to go find warriors to fight for them, which is exactly what Seven Samurai was. Um, and they can only pay them in grain. And so you have to go out and assemble your seven samurai to come and fight for you on behalf on, on your behalf. The uh, the Seven Samurai. Uh, who is the author of, of of that? Was that Kurosawa? Oh, I'm gonna mispronounce. Yeah, it's, it's it a Kuros, Kurosawa. I think it's like based in the Kurosawa films because Rebel Moon. Like even Zack Snyder would say that Rebel Moon's based on a Kuros, uh, Akira Kurosawa, the Star Wars films, and Heavy Metal, the Heavy Metal magazines. So. That that I could see. I definitely saw some Star Wars. Um, like rehashes of it so like when you know what the inspiration of the movie is there's not really a surprise in the plot i would say Well, i think the other thing like that's not a surprise is he actually it was that so this project i didn't know was in development since like 1997 so it's been a long time coming and he originally snyder pitched this to lucasfilm Shortly after the sale, Lucas filmed to Disney, and the pitch was more of a mature take on the Star Wars universe. And he pitched the idea as both a video game and a film, and uh, it was rejected both. I mean, all those times. So definitely, you can see him kind of tweaking this to fit, but you can see elements of all that stuff because it's kind of built on the framework of all that, which makes sense. Right. I mean, but it's still. I would still say it is an original take of the of the trope at this point um you know it's not like it was story beat for story beat um you know like you could see like where there were certain inspirations um you haven't watched it i guess i'm talking so spoiler alert i mean the the um smuggler betraying them to the empire i'm like well, there's your Han Solo moment. I mean, you know, um, uh, Lando Carissian, like it melded into that one character. And so his betrayal comes not a surprise to anyone. 
because like I kind of felt it was almost like a sped up version of um episodes four and five. Um, sorry, yes, four and five. So I was like, oh, we're now on uh, the cloud planet and we're gonna have a betrayal in three, two, one. There you go. And because this is a Seven Samurai film remake, someone has to die. I'm gonna go with that one. Three, two, one. Oh, look, he died. Like. So when I say you're not going to get, like, like if you know the inspirations, you're not really going to get the surprises. This doesn't make it a bad film. Well, I'm going to say when I went to watch it, I certainly didn't, I did not go having, I didn't do any research. And so I enjoyed it for what it is. And now in retrospect, hindsight, Chrissy, you're saying these things and I'm saying, oh, absolutely. I can totally see that. But when well, I watch it, when I watch it, I say, oh, there's Han Solo to Orlando doing his thing in clouds. Like, I didn't. Like, I hear that and I see that, but when I looked at it, I just really just enjoyed it for what well, it was, which is I, a I which really, is hot a hot chick kicking ass and taking names. I mean, what more do you want? I didn't, I didn't really do a whole lot of research. I will be completely honest with you. I just, the moment I saw the cover, the art for it, I said, oh, this is going to be Seven Samurai Remake. Like, because instantaneously I looked at it and went, one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, seven, seven on the film on the cover here. We got seven people. <laughs> Farmer. Yep, seven samurai. And then like there were some story beats of like, oh, we're just rehashing some Star Wars here. Okay, I know exactly where this is gonna go. Boom. And then when I went back and did like a little bit of research to find out like where they got the inspiration, I was like, check, 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 and check. But that's not like I do that when I'm reading fantasy novels or you know, science fiction novels. It's just at a certain point, like you start knowing the tropes so well that right. you're just like, yep. You're like, is is this a fantasy novel? Is this a mentor character? He will die. Okay, yeah, we're going, yeah. we're going, growing. Okay, yeah. now here he's gonna die. Yep, and he's dead. All right, good thing I didn't get attached. Moving on. It's the same thing with like, uh, especially if you are you know diehard Tolkien, you look at every fantasy novel that comes after, and you're like, oh, well, here's the wizard, here's you know the you know, you just you, you, there. There are certainly parallels, and I mean, the reality is people draw on their inspirations. And if this reminds us of Star Wars, rightly so, Snack, Zack Snyder was obviously impacted through his formative years from Star Wars. It would make sense that he would draw on this as something. And I guess the question we're going to have to answer as we dialogue tonight is: Did he do it well enough for it to be its own thing? And I think this is where the critics are kind of divided on, but where we maybe we can talk about our own thoughts about the story, the way it looked, and uh, and what we liked, and maybe things that maybe bothered us about it. So, I mean, I think it's a little hard to judge it until we see part two. Um, we're going to judge it anyways. We're judging it anyways. <laughs> the salty one is like, hold up, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought it was decent for what it was. Doing a seven-character cast is very difficult in that amount of time. So I understand that for purposes of, like, we're trying to make a film and we want to give people, like, a satisfactory, you know, beginning, middle, end part, they had to do it the way they did it. It just felt like it was a little rushed with the characters because each of the seven, you get, like, one little snippet to like completely characterize them, which is their the moment of recruitment. And then that's all you have to go off of, really, other than them doing lots of like really short telling you about people. So I did notice some 
more telling rather than showing in terms of film, which isn't terrible, don't get me wrong, when you're covering a lot of groundwork, you can't necessarily give each person a 30-minute, like, backstory with seven people. Like, you have to do real quick, like, people telling you about them. But then there were other parts of the movie that, like, they really drew out, and I'm sitting there going, maybe this part could have come in part two so that we could establish these other characters more. At least that's kind of how I felt. Like, I didn't know that we needed to see the magical princess doing things that is when she's dead and no longer relevant. I mean, the she's dead in the scrolling, the text, so. She's not dead. Maybe she's not dead. You know, I thought it was cool, the scene between the girl, Sarah, the girl, and the robot. Like, that was a really interesting thing, because, like, you see him, you see why he would interfere um, later on, but unless he really becomes a more prominent character, I kind of go, was that necessary when we could have more time on the other characters to flesh them out? I'm hoping, I'm hoping for the payoff in part two um, for those things. Because when you think about like how much screen time that those scenes take up, without those characterizations, like it's really hard to form an emotional attachment to some of the characters when you only get like an introductory theme of this guy rode on a griffin and tamed it. That was awesome. That was cool. Like, what does it tell you about his character? You know, what does it tell you about his background? Yeah. The one, and I really wonder how much of that of those characters' backgrounds are going to be really relevant because there's still a lot of, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong because maybe I just missed it when I watched it. There's still a lot of questionable unknown with our lead, Kara. Like the story she tells, and then the end with her father apparently being whoever runs everything now. There's this bit of intrigue and, and mystery as to who, who the heck really is this and why is she on the run? What did she do? What what did she see that now this has come about? My guess is it has something to do with the deaths of the royal family. Because in the flashback, she shares that she was purposely in the role of bodyguard to the princess and that was his doing and we know that they were portrayed by outsiders or off-worlders coming so something tells me i'm like okay so your father or adopted father i guess in this case manipulated it so that you were the bodyguard and then somehow the royal family all died which means you would have failed at your duty as a bodyguard so, how did you get on skate, escape on skate, or did you whisk Princessa away somewhere? You know, like, and maybe that's what he wants to know is where is the princess? Who knows? Um, you know, how long has she been on the run for? What's going on? Like, there's lots of, like you said, unknown. So, there's lots of world building pieces that I would like to see answered in part two before making my final judgment. Because right now I'm like halfway through the book. I can't judge Lord of the Rings when Frodo and Sam have only just left the Fellowship. You know, that's the other thing. I, I One of the things I did like about it 
was the ca- our main character, right? You don't know why she's on that planet right away. And they did kind of sparingly dump that information throughout the, I'm going to call it episode or part one here. Like it wasn't just given to us as an info dump right at the beginning, which I did appreciate. Right. Again, props for trying to advance a original franchise because everybody is just wanting to um, uh, reboot the rehab, yeah. you know, what's come before. And there hasn't been a lot of something new and original that, that took off. I'm not sure this one will take off, but. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not feeling the whole like this is my next Star Wars thing, but who knows? Again, yeah. might might surprise me. I'm hopeful right. for it. Um I I appreciate the newness. I like a lot of the world building that's going on. Like if this were a new book series, I would probably be like somewhat excited for it because of like, okay, this this might actually really go somewhere. I could actually really like this might be something that I really enjoy. Um you know, and I I do like I did like a lot of the the set design. I like the design of the the ship and technology. Um, it really reminded me of oh, what's that anime? That's one anime called. The ship looks almost like drawn directly from that ship. Um, mm-hmm. which as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh yes, I love that. Um. So I liked a lot of the design. I felt that the different worlds that they went to were each very unique. Um, so I just, I liked a lot. The world building I was really into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you could tell who the, who the bad guys were because they looked like uh, SS Nazis. I mean. You know, <laughs> I, I really do appreciate a heavy, a heavy handed Nazi reference. You I know, mean, after like, all. <laughs> The guy they got to play the main baddie, though, fantastic as a cold, calculated guy you did not want to cross. Holy hell. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely given really great, like, Nazi vibes there. I just... Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. I I was very disappointed with the, the, the short arc of... Charlie Hunnam's character, the uh, the smuggler guy, the the traitor that they pick, that she picks up, Kai, I guess was his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that actor. Yeah, if you guys are, if everybody's ever watched Sons of Anarchy, he was one of the main the main characters in in that show, and he was great. I, I loved his character in there, and I was I saw as soon as I saw him in the preview, like on the little thumbnail thing in there, I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm I'm getting hooked. This this is pulling me right in. And then they they kill him. You gotta be kidding me. Come on. I love this guy. Somebody had to Somebody betray, him. betray him. I know. I know. But- Come on. I like how they uh they uh brought back one of our favorite JJ Abrams characters from the third movie. Yep, uh, Jayla from uh, Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The main oh, character, wow. baby. The main character. She's Jayla. That's yep. that's Jayla. Yeah. That's Jayla. 
I didn't. Well, good thing I didn't put that together. I read a headline that says Rebel Moon proves Star Trek blew it with J.J. Abrams movie's best new character. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I said, oh, Dave will like this headline. But yeah, she, no, she was, she's great. She was fantastic in this role. And I would argue she was uh, she, she yeah, one of yeah. the redeeming parts of the uh, Star Trek movie, that Star Trek movie, too. So She really was, though. I, I like the banging and the screaming. The, yeah, the, yes, the, the beats and the screaming. That's what it is, the beats and screaming. I like the beats <laughs> and the screaming, too, Dela. <laughs> me, too. Me, too. Um, and, you know, I could picture this <laughs> the same kind of thing. I like the beats and the screaming. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked her in uh, the first Kingsman. She played um, Samuel L. Jackson's um, Enforcer. Uh, yeah. If you ever, I don't know if you, anybody ever see the first Kingsman? No, I don't think I have. Okay. Um, it's uh, I'm trying to th- the, the 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 young actor who's, who's the main guy. I forget him, but. Um, Colin Firth, he he has he has a big role in it, and Samuel L. Jackson plays the baddie, and it's a, you know, um, in that movie is one of the most violent scenes I've ever seen in any movie. They, uh, um, yes, um, and they do it to a, a, a Leonard Skinner song, you know, <laughs> but uh, um, but uh, yeah, King, yeah, Kingsman's a pretty good movie, you know, if you're looking for something to watch, um, but. Uh, uh, there's some good people in this. Uh, the guy who plays the the farmer trying to find his inner hero. Um, um, I'm not sure if I pronounced his name right. Some of these people are from definitely European uh, or African. Uh, Michael uh, Hussman, uh, he plays Gunner. Um, I, I, I saw, like, I recognize that guy. Where do I? So I cheated. I went on IMDb. He's like, yep, he was in Game of Thrones. So You know, I, I, I did like his story arc. Um, a lot working, you know, at the very end when he was asked, you know, basically pull the trigger and, and kill her. And he's like, you know, being held almost at gunpoint to do it. Um, and he, he doesn't do it. He turns around and basically saves the day. And I thought it was really nice to give him that kind of shining moment um, to not just be the hapless farmer who can't hold his own. Right. They develop. I like how they did. Uh, they took um, uh, Bay Donna's character and named her Donna Bay, who was the nemesis. They just kept <laughs> her name and just flipped it. Huh. If it's a good name, why change it? Exactly. Um, I'm going to yeah, be honest. I... So some of these, some of these movies, like, why do the robots always steal the show? Well, I don't know. I look at this, and Anthony Hopkins did a fantastic job as this robot. It's if don your tinfoil hats. It's so that we all accept the robots when they take over. Yeah, it's such a humanity thing. Yeah, we have we have to emotionally connect with these robots, and then when you know, like you said, when they take over, it's like yeah, yeah. sure, there are benevolent overlords. Why not? Exactly, exactly. It's it's all it's all part of the overlord plan of the robots. They've already figured it out, Scott. <laughs> I said, "Don your tinfoil hats." I don't know. Heck, I 
to see what happens when technology goes haywire in my own building, Dave. It's like I walk into school and it's like a poltergeist is happening. Runes are flickering on and off. Lights work and then they don't work. Joe hits his light switch. Friend of ours. 20 minutes later, the lights actually come on. It's just fantastic at our school. So anyways. When I went to college, we had a very fancy building and one of my friends got into it and then was make got into the sound system and the lights and threw like a mini rave <laughs> on campus. We could do that at Penn Manor, I bet, with the way the lights are working. I I could probably ask <laughs> ask them how they did it and I could I could help you figure it out. Um yeah. we just we just had that your your this is a whole this, this, this is a whole rabbit trail. See what you did with us Dave and robots. <laughs> you and your cynicism. I'm just yeah, afraid but, of going to going to the my grocery store, the, the giant with that thing that I don't know what you call that thing, but that's going through the aisles. It's just like Marty. Get out of my way. The eyes does not help. <laughs> no, that, no, it doesn't. It only makes it more frightening. I'm just gonna put that out there. Skynet is controlling that thing. I'm gonna be honest that I have I, I've not been to the grocery store in about a year. Well, it was there before, and it's still there. And it's I'm uh well. See, I just have people deliver my groceries to me because I'm because I'm not going to waste my time driving there, shopping for another hour when I can do it in five minutes on an app. So true. Um, <laughs> but anyways, yes, the robot did steal the show. Like I really, like I said, I I really especially am- the antlers at the end. Come on. <laughs> yes. Although, what was that about? <laughs> that was fantastic. Maybe the robot is getting into the people's uh, spirituality. I know. Native, folks. <laughs> it's going to be a god. He's going to be their god. Oh, he can use his special like um, yeah. abilities to to figure out like, where the best planting will be and predict the weather and things. And who knows? Although I did find it rather curious, like how non technological they were. It's like it's almost like the Amish in space, like minus some of the religious stuff. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we're gonna go ride these horses to go get a spaceship. <laughs> I know. I, I, would, I would, I would, I would argue this is one of the things when you look at like so a place like Tatooine, right? Very rustic. Sure, there's elements of that, but it's kind of blended with the technological, and it's clearly someone brought them there, dropped them off as settlers. And maybe they decided that in order to live on the by their own, they decided to not have to rely on technology. Dave, this sounds like your sort of planet. Yes. <laughs> as long as I have some of them cool blaster things they have, that's just fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, even and- the guns looked kind of had a World War II type look. Even like the the, the uh, chorus pistol uh, looked like a German pistol of some kind. It it was so like I and I remember when they first got when uh, the mother world first got to the planet they said like oh well you guys can buy like technology to make your harvest better and the father of the village basically said we don't want that where we feel that being connected to the land is important so when I say like I really did like all the different like world building elements like even when there was that like spider mother and she basically was like. I'm taking vengeance because my eggs can't hatch because you guys came to this planet and like ruined the po- you poisoned the planet and poisoned the air and now I now my children are dying and so I'm gonna take one of your kids. Yeah. Um, you know, right there. That was so much world building in like 
what was it, three, four lines? They made, made me feel sorry for her, too. She wasn't just this evil, you know, monster kidnapping uh, a human child. She, you know, there's, there's these people that came to her world and polluted it through the mining and stuff. And, um, you know, not agreeing with her actions or anything like that, but just like, yeah, I could kind of feel a little sorry for her. Was it just me or did she remind you of the Borg Queen? Oh, she so reminded me of the Borg Queen. Just the look of her. Yes. Yeah, I was like, she looks very Borg Queen-esque right now. I'm feeling it. You know, once again, probably heavily. Like, you're going to see all the different science fiction elements that just got, like, really, like, mixed together in this. But it didn't feel inauthentic. It's not, it didn't feel like some, like, Zach just threw, like, told an AI bot write me this story and it popped it out right you know it, it felt authentic and to be perfectly honest i like the authenticity even if it's not the greatest because i feel so many things these days just aren't they're just churned out mass-produced junk that you're just like i feel like an ai could have written this and i wouldn't know the difference I think by keeping making the um, the mother world, uh, those people with the whole SS Nazi vibes, and I don't know, I, I it was easier for me to hate them more than say hate the stormtroopers in Star Wars. Stormtroopers are faceless. Uh, these people, I don't know, just I was trying to when I was watching this, trying to get. What was what was what kind of statement was this movie making? And you know, just the evil of tyr- what the evil of tyranny, the evil of you know, power run amok, um, and um, you know, exploiting other people and stuff. So I, I felt I felt it was easy for me to because e- even you know the people that are the baddies are because because they were human. I could I can emotionally you know just. Boo those people and just you know want 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 justice for the uh, you know um, the farm the people the farm planet and others that are fighting these people fighting the mother world. So I agree with. Go ahead. Oh, I was I was gonna say um I thought it was interesting because the different characters all presented very different responses to similar situation. So you know, and what I thought was an interesting foil was um. I guess the exiled prince, when you find him, he's chained up and he's told to go tame this griffin. And he does. He does a successful job of doing it for him. He can ride it. And then at the very the very moment that the other guy goes to ride it, the griffin basically pins him and kills kills the guy who had been previously enslaving him. And his response is at a girl. Like, yes, you took vengeance. Good job. <laughs> then the very next scene is Nemesis rescuing the child from the mother, the spider mother. And he gets, I think, I mean, no, it was Gunnar who like gets in and, and saves the girl. But the prince was like, oh, that was that was a good, that was a good thing. And she's like, no, this was not a good thing. This was this was a terrible tragedy, what just happened, us having to kill her. And so, and basically saying that like this revenge and vengeance is not a good thing. But he just had with him, it was a good thing. And then we see Cora, who, you know, her planet was destroyed. And she was like, 
taken up by this guy, adopted, and then she became one of them. The very people who destroyed her planet, she became and accepted that that's what she should continue to do. So there was like all these different responses to this outside colonial force coming in and destroying things. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I hear you. I think it's even even within the, I'm going to call it the Imperial uh, fleet, you see the uh, what's interesting is the king himself, right? Who seems to be much more temperate than this vigilante um, leader that we see that's so sinister. We see almost a little bit of um, empathetic response, maybe. Well, and and he says that he desires for his daughter to be different than him. Right. So, and to not continue doing what he's been doing, that he wants her to be able to usher in peace. Now, some people have this idea of, I will bring about peace through conquering, which we see in Star Wars. Yeah. So, like, there's lots and lots of different echoes of Star Wars and echoes of the Sam- Seven Samurai. It's like, you know, Seven Samurai and Star Wars are making eyes at each other, and now we have, you know, their love child. Um, uh, basically. <laughs> basically. Well, the, 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 the king here is, of course, the uh, the guy from Princess Bride. As you wish. Yep. Oh, my gosh, yes! <laughs> I, have, I didn't recognize him with the beard! Yeah. Yeah. And Robin Hood of Men Tights. Yeah, absolutely. Robin Hood, you have become the very thing that you swore to destroy. What are you doing? <laughs> oh my. Um Yeah. Yes. So also, I mean, it, it sounds like what I'm hearing is like as a general rule, we're liking it. May not be the best movie ever for us, but we uh we really enjoyed watching it or and at least are willing to see where it goes next. Is that oh, what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say that it is like a work of art and like amazing everyone should go see it. But then objectively, I know, sacrilege, neither, like, neither was Star Wars. It was just a good film to go see and enjoy. Um, and it told a good story. And I don't feel like this is some sort of abomination of Seven Samurai. I just don't. Um, Do I feel like Seven Samurai did it better? Yes. But I'm going to say that about almost any film that takes from it. Um, That's just a really good classic film. Just like Tolkien is a a seminal work of the fantasy genre. It's going to be hard to top that. Um, You know? Yeah. So... That doesn't mean I'm not going to recommend other books to read. So, Miles, did you find out any information as far as how much it costs Netflix to put this movie together? I did not find a budget. Maybe I could find yeah. something real. I know expensive. that it was expensive. And I think it's one of the things we we're going to say that visually it looked, it looked, it looked fantastic. Oh. You know? So you just, uh, when you, when you look at all that. Well, I remembered the movie Harlock. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this is, it's just, it's fair. It's a fantastic visual. It's a visual feast. And 
yeah, yeah. Just, knowing that was not in theaters, I didn't didn't occur to me to look at um uh that that site we go to for those stats. Um, um box, it's, box it's office mojo. Box office I'm, mojo, yeah. I'm finding 166 million for both parts. Uh, yeah, I'm getting 166 million. Yeah, well, yeah. so <laughs> that's pretty mo that's almost modest by Hollywood standards. Yeah, so by movie theater standards, modest. Uh, probably getting up there by television standards when we're just producing a uh, direct to a direct to uh, TV movie. Maybe I don't know. Might be pricey for like for just for streaming. Yeah. 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 So I have a couple of reviews to uh, read to you, and I'd like to know whether you guys agree or disagree with what these people are saying. Are you up for it? Let's let's sure. Let's okay. Your worst. So first, so first of all, I did want to say that. Critics dogged it, but when this movie premiered on December 22nd on Netflix, it garnered 24 million views in a matter of days, making it the number one most viewed English language film on the service from December 18th to the 24th. So it certainly got some views in. So I don't know if a Netflix views it as a win, but that was that. But. All right, so this is what Rotten Tomatoes had to say about it. And uh, I'll read each review, and then we can kind of talk whether we agree, disagree. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes says, Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, proves Zack Schneider has not lost his visual flair, but the eye candy isn't enough to offset a storyline made up of various sci-fi and fantasy tropes. I'm going to defend using tropes because it's like the reason they're tropes are because they work. I mean, have you ever tried reading or watching something that's tropeless? And, and with as, as, as much stuff that's out there now, you're not, you're not going to have a, a truly completely organic original idea. You're going to pull from something. Something is going to mirror other things that have been done. That, that's not a bad thing. And, and even when you don't, even if you don't know something exists, you can write a perfect, to you, perfectly original, you've never seen it done, and someone's going to read it and go, oh yeah, this is just like this other thing that I just read. I mean, Scott's student did that, and... I read her story, and I know she probably has not read. I think it was Cloud Atlas that it reminded me of. I said, oh, this is a lot like Cloud Atlas. And, like, I can almost promise you she's never heard or read that book. So at a certain point, I'm like, okay. I mean, my question isn't, is it tropeless? My question is, did it do the trope well? Is it a well-executed, is it a new, is it an originally done thing? Like, if I go and I get, like, a fresh new, if I go to a restaurant and they make me an apple pie, it better taste like an apple pie. But my question is, did they put the ingredients together correctly? And did they have an original twist on it with something else? And I find, well, this is delicious and I love it. Um, right. yeah. I, again, I'm not praising this movie to the sky and saying it deserves, like, an A, but it's a decent film. It's certainly better than some stuff I've watched recently, and and I and I and I for me it it does hold its own, and I'm not bothered by the sci-fi tropes, and I agree, Chrissy. I think that this the story, again, 
as we were talking about at the beginning, I did not watch it saying, oh, here's a trope, here's a trope. I got lost in the story. And if right. the tropes, if the tropes while there can maybe get lost and engaged in the story, then I don't care whether they pulled out a trope. In fact, the familiarity of the tropes are sometimes what makes me want to run to the show or the movie or the TV series, right? You know, we dog on it. We we've talked many times about how Discovery, Star Trek, people didn't like the the black the fact that it wasn't real episodic, but we get strange new worlds. People like the trope and the way Star Trek does those sorts of shows. And there's a certain familiarity that the trope of the way they put together a show works for us. And yet it doesn't feel like they're just recycling old episodes. Right. And I and I think right now, sometimes having something that's familiar is really comforting. We've just been through a lot, a lot, a lot, and having just a nice story that you know is going to end a certain way and follow a certain design and not really surprise you is, quite frankly, relaxing. We're going to the same destination, but you're just taking me on a different road with some different scenery. Right. I'm okay with that. Yep. The ending was very satisfying. It was uh, just seeing, you know, our heroes get captured, and it's like, okay, how are they going to get out of this? And it's just like, you think uh, the, the the guy who betrayed him is you know got the farm by the far, the farm boy um, and just you know the farm boy is able to find his inner hero and able able to take this guy out and, and release everybody uh, and and see the, everybody fight back and 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 beat back beat the baddies back and it was very visually satisfying. Um, I thought I thought oh. it succeeded in a lot of ways. Yeah, the eye candy part is definitely true. Like, right. I have zero complaints about any of the scenes. Um, I also really did like the one. It was towards the very end, and it was a very, very, like, Japanese-like scene. And it was almost like a signature of um, the Seven Samurai, like, right there on screen for me. I was like, ah, there it is. There's my thank you for the original movie that this is based on. That, that, to me, was a chef's kiss. I was like, ah, I know exactly what this is saying visually to me. Perfect. By the way, did you know that, and I, I have some more reviews, but I just thought as we were talking, you know that Zack Snyder's putting out an R-rated version of this same thing in early early this year. I heard, yeah, it's a three-hour-long version of this one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so well, then maybe his... it will have the characterization that I, I am missing. I will probably watch it then and enjoy it more. Yeah. All right, uh, here's, a, here's in a review by Variety. The Variety writer Owen Gleiberman commented, while eminently watchable, Rebel Moon is a movie built so entirely out of spare parts that it may, in the end, be for Snyder cultists only. Okay, number one, you're from Vanity, so <laughs> you can pretty much shove it right where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, what the hell do you know? <laughs> All right, so we're attacking, we're attacking, this is the straw man fallacy, right? Where we're attacking the character, the guy writing it, not the actual what he's saying. Got it. Well, because honestly, <laughs> like, listen to that. Spare parts slapped together in some, what, Zack Snyder fantasy? Cult film, cult yeah. Film? What the hell do you watch? Yeah. Like, th this yeah. sounds like a guy who spends most of his time reviewing movies where you have to read the subtitles 
because you don't understand what the hell's being said. Some fancy artsy flick. Well, it's not. It's a freaking sci-fi adventure movie. Yeah. What are you expecting going into this? Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, we're not looking for something that's going to deeply change and challenge our view of the world. Correct. And, and you know what? Although, and, and although, point. yeah, although I would argue that when you look at society and government controlling the people like uh there are some things this movie does say it, it does but the great part about it is unlike half of the crap that's put out now those things aren't shoved in your face this this isn't a a blatantly woke movie that is shoving right. their politicism right out there i mean I, yeah believe me there are undertones to certain things I mean, just the spider lady and her her oh, three oh, lines yeah. thing and that world building thing. Very, can be very politically driven if you intend to look at it that way. But it's not shoved in your face. It's not Star Trek Discovery. It, it, it's it's nuanced. It's built in, and you don't even know you're getting it if it's there. That's well, I mean, what's you... good about it to me too. Yeah, I mean, there's, like I said, like, there's different characters having different reactions to the same situation, but thus far, you're left to, as the viewer, to decide how you want to interact with it, how you want to respond to this person. Like, yes, she is our heroine, but let's examine for two seconds what she essentially was. We're looking at someone who was basically a former, we're just going to use Nazi, Nazi, and now she's, what, on a path of redemption? Does that undo the atrocities she committed while in service to the mother world? Does that forgive her betrayal of her entire planet by joining with them and becoming them? But then she was a child. Like, can we necessarily blame her for how she grew up and how she was raised? And that in order to survive, she almost had to become like them and identify with them? Like, let's... There's like so many layers to that one character. Right. I'm I sorry. Agree. I don't think you can call it leftover parts. No, you're leading towards telling. Yeah, you're exactly right. This girl has has an awakening at some point, and I don't think she's trying to 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 erase the atrocities, but there's certainly going to wind up being a redemption tale to this somewhere. You know, and and honestly, who doesn't love? A, a good redemption story, especially today. It, you know, it, it's, I don't know. What's the next review? Yeah, this guy's a freaking bonehead. Okay, well, this is by our, uh, this is from uh, RogerEbert.com. He's still alive? Simon, no. <laughs> Simon, Simon Abrams is uh, writing on the site. Abrams and he gave the film... One star out of four and characterized it as too similar to Star Wars and the Seven Samurai, containing an over-reliance on visual spectacle with cliched characters and themes. I mean, <laughs> when, when you have like five, two minutes on screen to make a character, you almost have to rely on cliches. Um, so now I'm really curious about that three-hour cut. Um, well, you know, I guess the question I get, you, you said it earlier, Chrissy, 
just because it's cliched, if the story's told in a way that feels fresh and original, I'm okay with with seeing, you know, our Skywalker character forced off the farm to go fight fight with the Rebel Alliance. Like I'm okay with that because it doesn't feel when I when I look at that character, I don't look and say, oh, there's 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 Luke and there's a you know the Millennium Falcon taking him off world. Like I don't think of any of that stuff. I don't think oh they went to Mos Eisley to get a ship. You know that stuff's there certainly, but. I didn't watch it and say, oh, yeah, they're just recycling it. What was the thing you said about the visuals? What were his words? Over-reliant on visual spectacle. Visual spectacle. Okay, bro, it's 2024. <laughs> Do you want us making a sci-fi movie on the 1970s Paramount lot where they filmed the original Star Trek with the same crap then? Give me a freaking break. You have to make it look for, good. For it's me, freaking visual- sci-fi. And you're probably not related, but go talk to your boy JJ, who shares your same last name. You want to talk about visual spectacles with all his freaking lens flares and crap? That is the only thing this movie was missing: lens flare. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I I opinion. (laughs) I I mean, I liked all the visuals. Sorry, I I I liked the visuals, um, because like. It, you again, you had such a short amount of time to characterize the different people and the different planets that like a picture tells a thousand words. So like you almost had to. I mean, I really liked whatever planet that was with the Griffin was flying around. For me, I was like, hey, I think I someone here must have played Burning Crusade because right there is um, <laughs> it's fire like. With all like the really crazy like um spikes jutting one way or the other, and you're flying around uh-huh. with a griffin, I was like, I feel like I'm playing World of Warcraft and Burning Crusades yep. right now, and I have zero yep. complaints about it. <laughs> I, I, I love the scene in the beginning when she's plowing that field, and, and you're looking at the horizon line, and you just see the giant planet that they're orbiting, right there. Right. Like, that, that that's my computer wallpaper. It could be that is so freaking cool. I love looking. It is. At that. It is. Now I did have a slight complaint about the way that she was holding the harness on her. I'm like, honey, do not put that thing around your neck like that. That is that's gonna hurt you. No. The the, the Amish farming consultant was not available for. Uh... <laughs> well, I, yes. I'm like, and it was so funny. Like I instantaneously picked up on that she was doing that wrong. Anyone else who's not from like around here would like, or from an Amish community would instantly be like, "No, honey, that is not how they do it. Like, right. don't do it." Right, that way. right. We need we need Zack Snyder to come to the Amish country and get some tips. So. Yes, he does. It's like, <laughs> no, I don't know what that was. Yeah. Well, I, um, one, I, one, I do have one more review, but Miles, did you want to chime in here and comment on anything that was said here? Like I said, when I watched it, I was trying, you know, a, a movie, a movie, a TV show, sometimes exploring a theme. And, you know, what, what Dave was talking about earlier about how a lot of sci fi gets politicized and stuff. And <clears throat> I thought what, what we could probably, all of us could probably agree on. A, a tyranny tyranny is wrong. A government that powerful is wrong. Um, freedom is better. And, I, I, you know, I thought that that's something that's pretty easy to get behind. It's, you know, it, it, it was very easy to get behind the, the heroes in this movie 
and easy to um, not like, hate, whatever it is, the, you know, the mother world and, and, and that system. Um, I had some overtones of um, Firefly in a way of the, the Alliance and Malcolm Reynolds, uh, you know, wanting to just get as far away from them as possible. What you guys are saying, yeah, I mean, it gets to a point where a lot of, you know, a lot of stories borrow from each other. A lot of the tropes have already been invented. It's very hard to invent a new trope. You know, it's still it's still possible still tell a good story and do it well. Star Wars Rogue One was is probably my favorite Star Wars movie, but that borrowed from a lot of tropes. Uh, oh, yeah. Dozen, uh, I think Dayton Ward, so we reviewed it with him, the, the Guns of Navarone. You know, some, some of these movies retell another story from a long right. time ago. It's a way to pay homage to it. And, uh, you know, not claim we could do it better, but maybe just telling it in a different way and rediscovering it. I was say, I didn't hear these critics complaining that The Mandalorian basically just retold Wolf and Cub the whole time, down to the music. It's still a damn good, it was still a damn good series. I would recommend right. both watching The Mandalorian and Wolf and Cub. Storytelling like this, and again, I'm not an English teacher. I'm certainly not a, a, a guy who reads a lot. I, I really, I'm really not. I'll be honest. That's okay. We'll forgive you. Got a lot of books on your shelf, though, Dave. The same. I, I know, and I, I, I've read the majority of them, but that's peanuts. The ones on this one are the best. But humanity's history has always been passed down and told through story. And when ones continue to borrow, we're taking the same lessons and the same, the, the same things from each story and retelling it again. Who cares if it's the same story that's been told a hundred times? It's differently this time. And it's something we all need to remember in some way, shape, or form. There's always a moral to it, whether it be like in this, courage, a story of freedom, working together, whatever it might be. Right. That's how we fighting against an oppressive power. Yeah. Exactly. Which thanks, Miles, after your thing there. I, I'm not gonna be able to put this on YouTube because they'll probably take it down because we mentioned freedom and oppressive government and how it's wrong. Oh but... no, we're gonna put it on anyways, but well but... Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's one of those things where like you have to keep retelling the same stories because you know, like I think it was was it Scott or no, your friend um tried showing the Star Wars movie to a new generation and they were like, this is kind of lame. We don't like it. And so like in order to continue the same values or to continue the same lessons, you must have to update it and have to do it. And so, you know, again, to me, is it as good as the seven samurai? No, but you know what? Maybe to a younger generation, this is the movie that they need to see for the seven samurai. Maybe that's what they need. Because it's semi, the, the Seven Samurai is not going to speak to them. Star right. Wars New Hope isn't going to speak to them. You know, you show that, you know, having my son sit through New Hope is torture. It moves so slow for a, a new generation. Not that it's a bad movie. It's a good movie. But which yeah. is why, which is why I'm not like if they go and they say, well, we're going to remake Star Wars. Am I going to complain about it? Absolutely. Yes. But, but maybe it reaches a generation differently than the version that i grew up with does and i'm gonna buy it and watch it because i'm just a little star wars whore and i'll just right? shovel the money out <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> Why not? all they have to do is pimp it on the street and there dave is there i am <laughs> um but, he's like please give me my drug thank you very much that's right. 
Yeah. Well, I have one more review. Do you want to hear this last review? Sure. Let's get salty again. Okay. Well, before we do that, I one other thing that I thought of as I think it was Miles was talking or someone that I was thinking when they came in to this moon and they said, you need to give us X amount of grain. I had done some research about the 30 years war in Prussia and how the how the soldiers and armies would go in across the fields and just take, they would just commandeer whatever grain and whatever crops were there because that's the way they fed their armies. So here you have these ships so far from the hub of the galactic core, right? And how do they feed their troops? They commandeer the crops from the, the moons and stuff that belong to the society. And it reminded me very much a little bit of that sort of framework happening in this movie so i thought that was very authentic in a way last review that we're going to do and then we'll wrap up the show here and that is this the messengers jordan hoffman gave it a score of four out of ten writing as a space opera it has none of the weight of dune none of the characterizations of guardians of the galaxy none of the madness of jupiter ascending or the fifth element and none of the pep of star wars the hell is this guy watching? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know that I would put Fifth Element way up here in this movie, way down here. Like, I would probably, I mean, yes, I would probably put the Fifth Element a little bit higher, but I'm also not going to put the Fifth Element way up there either. Like, it's it's a good movie. I enjoy it. I will watch that movie a hundred times. It is a great movie. It is a lot of fun. That was a box office bomb. What the hell is he even putting in the same category for? (laughs) Like Dune, okay, I get. So certainly I would not say this movie has the weed of Dune. Like especially the book Dune, right? No. No, Dune. Dune, Tolkien, things like up here. But but the The uh, (laughs) But Guardians of the Galaxy, I wouldn't put up at the same level as Dune. No. It's a different type of movie. Yes. And I enjoyed it immensely, but under the category of fun romps, yes. Guardians of the Galaxy, Fifth Element, Rebel I would say Rebel Moon, just a fun, just a for funsy. Like, you know, if I'm gonna go out to a fancy five-star restaurant, you know, and, and eat and spend a lot of money, Dune. If I just want to go out for a nice hamburger and a beer with Dave or you guys and just have a fun chat and get some French fries, Fifth Element. Like, two very different activities, both enjoyable in their own right. I mean, I I can go to an art gallery and then go to Comic-Con. It's fine. This guy seems like, I don't think this guy knows science fiction stuff at all. The, the, the things he's compared it to in the same class and categories in this thing. Like, dude, you have have you even watched any of these movies that you're talking about for real? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah. How do you get that kind of a gig to write for trash papers and outlets like this as a movie reviewer? Like, what does that <laughs> even pay? I wonder because whoever's hiring them is getting ripped off. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. Again, I like to judge things for what they're intended to be. This was def. I don't think this was intended to be an epic like Dune. It just wasn't. Star Wars definitely not on the same level as Dune. You know, I, you know I, if I, when I look at this movie in light of these movies that we listed, 
I was a I was along for an adventure for people that are trying to overthrow a tyrannical government, and I want to see my underdogs do it. And if yes. they do it, which I'm sure they will, what more could I want? This is if you want to talk about comparison of Star Wars. These are these are my people on Yavin for coordinating attack on the Death Star. Let's do it. Let let's let's take on the big the baddie and let's overthrow it because the story of the underdog has always been the story that I enjoyed. It's my Lord of the Rings. It's the it's the impossible journey when there is no hope. Let's give our heroes put them in a situation where there's no hope and let them overcome in a way that I buy into. And it's going to make me feel good in the end, and I'm going to love it. I can only handle so many movies of Robert Patterson beating the crap out of the his villain as a Batman. This is the type of movie that gives me hope in a day and a generation in which I need more hope. This is beautiful and is so refreshing in light of the current news landscape and the current political structure. I, I just like it in general. So, well, like I said earlier. At a, I, I feel like at this point, something that follows the familiar tropes and the familiar things, and you can just go in, and like I said, if you're paying attention to like, you know, not getting too lost into it, if you're actually, if you're paying attention, you're, you're like, you are going to be sitting there going me like, okay, betrayal in three, two, one, got it. This person's going to, like, one of you are going to die, probably that guy, because we're not too attached to you. I'm okay. Like, I have zero complaints about a predictable plot yeah none whatsoever in fact i am a hundred like i'm on for the ride i love it i'm like and that's just and that's this generation i mean you look at the way music a lot of people are just redoing covers of old music they're you scroll through the different social media and you see young kids putting out you know covering 99 red balloons and and all these old classics and they're putting their twists and their spin on it there's something about the nostalgia and the familiarities of the, the, the things that is not bad. It's a good thing for us. They're stable. It makes us feel like we're connected. And what I liked about it was that it wasn't a remake remake. It was like it took the elements of these things and made it an original story and made yeah. it original world building. And you know what? You want to come out with more films and like video games and things. You know what? I, I will... I will give you my money. I'm okay with that because at least it's not the same rehashed once again Disney remake of the same film I've seen a million times as a child in a cartoon version. Why why are you showing me this? I don't need a creepy, you know, CGI version of an animal character I love. This is now this is the stuff of nightmares, leave me alone. The Lion King animated beautiful expressions i don't know what that piece of crap was i only saw the commercials and decided that that was enough i've already seen the film i watched it obsessively as a child i don't need to re-see it yeah talking about disney chrissy did you watch the south park into the panderverse special i feel like i need to now <laughs> you do <laughs> like i'm i'm okay with with it being familiar, but being new. Yeah. So you know what, Zack Snyder, take my money. Here you go. Yep. Let's see. Yeah. At least, at least you're doing something original. Well, uh, and to be it, 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 to be as fair, I, I like this movie better than I like Justice League. Oh my god! I, 
I mean, yes. the way this, this movie held better, even the extended cut of Justice League, which I liked, I feel like this was just a better movie in general. And uh, and even the shortened version was better than the longer version. So, uh, you know, this I, I think for me, Zack Snyder has a hit. Uh, it's a hit for me. It's I, I if you if, it won't make my top ten movies of all time, but it certainly is a it's a it's a good movie. It's a good movie. When's the extended version of this one supposed to come out? Said early 2024. So I imagine we're going to see that maybe February, maybe early March, like right before to begin to build up hype for the next one. And then you the know, next you know one what? comes in what, April? Yeah. I will probably, I would be willing to watch the extended version because I, again, I like the world building and the visuals enough that, and the thing I didn't get enough of was the characters. So if you're going to give me extra characterization in that extended film, I would probably watch it and come back to you guys and say, you know what? We'll have to do a Rebel Moons 2.0, like uh, another review of the extended cut. Because if you're adding 45 minutes to an hour onto that thing. It's like a new movie. Yeah, you're going to, you have to add character development to it. Then I would probably rank it much higher than I do now with proper character development. Absolutely. And and say that it was a waste of my two of this two hours for me to not get it, but I'm okay. Like I'm okay with that. Like someone said, watch it again. I'm like, sure, I can do it again. It's not my favorite film. Well, let's uh let's uh, let's let's uh wrap it up here. Let's end as we always do when we talk about movies like this. Out of five stars, where are you ranked currently? Not not where are we gonna rank it, but where do you rank it now based on its own out of five stars? Um, Miles, can we uh, start with you? Are you okay with that? Sure. Uh, I give it three and a half stars. Okay. Three, three and a half. Sounds good. Chrissy, how about you? I would go say a solid three, three and a half. Like it's right there. Nice in the middle. Good. Dave, how about you? Yeah, I'm not going to buck that. I mean, three and a half works for me at that. Yeah. Three and a half. I I was going to say four before people started speaking, but I'm not like, I just definitely not a, Definitely not a five, but I see such potential. And so being the optimist I am, I'm going to give it a four, I think, because I just say, you know, I want to believe that it's going to get better. And I think that, uh, I think that's kind of where I'm at. So yeah, well, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Miles, I think we'll hold off on that interview. We have an interview to share with you from shortly last year. We'll share that in our next episode. Okay. uh, Because we uh, ran long here tonight. But thank you, everyone, for joining us. If you are listening to us on iTunes or wherever or on on Facebook, we do. uh, Our Spotify fee is fixed. I didn't even know it was broken. But I had a student tell me, hey, um, I looked you up on Spotify, and the last episode was February 2022. That is now fixed. So, nice. yeah. Very cool. So we'll go with and it. And also check us out on YouTube. Yeah. Sci-Fi Diner podcast yep. on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we would love to hear your thoughts of Rebel Moon. You've been listening to ours for the past hour. What do you think of this uh, movie? And do you agree or disagree with us? We would love to hear from you. I think that's about it. Miles, why don't you take us out of the show? All right, till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Leave your tips on the table. And go boldly to sci-fi diner podcast.com. <laughs> <laughs>